about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. So it's Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The second passage we're going to look at is from chapter 3 and it starts, it's just verses 10 and 11. So Ephesians 3 verses 10 and 11. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, we're into the second week of our series called The Church of the Living God, where we're thinking through what it actually is we do as church which is exactly the time to be doing it. We are two weeks out from July 19 when all of our services will come back online and in a building. Really exciting time, but it's good to have our heads and our hearts in the right place as we enter into that time and rejoice uh, in the good things God gives us together. Last week we talked about the gathering of the Lamb, how the church is a multitude who will one day be gathered around the Lord Jesus having conquered sin and death through His blood. And this week, we want to talk about how that multitude is what Paul calls in Ephesians 2, the new humanity. Now, this idea of the new humanity, a whole new class of human that's made possible by the blood of Jesus. This really helps, I think, uh, in the midst of all the racial protests we are seeing happen right now. I don't know about you, but I'm finding this whole stage a bit disorienting to see such systemic Uh, abuse uh, and pain and hatred 
so visible and realizing, well, what am I going to do with that? How am I going to cope with this? What am I to do as a disciple of Jesus? Uh, of course, it's been clear that uh, we have issues uh, as a country in the way we've treated indigenous people of this land and in the great inequality that still exists. Even uh, pastors, indigenous pastors will speak of this. For example, Ray Milliken, who speaks of how there are so many deaths in custody. Uh, if you're an Aboriginal pastor, most of us are burying our people. We just get tired of burying our people and visiting them in jails. We are working our butts off to prevent these things. That's the reality of our country, the reality of the Christian church. And we as God's people have not been immune to the racism or the fueling of inequality that happens in our country and in every country. And we need to take seriously all of this as an issue of our discipleship. And so I want to look at the new humanity in Ephesians chapter 2 today and what that tells us about church. And, and as we do that, address this issue of how to do this well as God's people. Four things uh, about that. The first one is this. In Ephesians chapter 2, what we see is that peace, racial peace, takes nothing less than the bloody body of Jesus. Paul speaks in chapter 2 of Jew and Gentile and how Gentile, those outside the Jewish race, are excluded from the promises of God. They're without out hope and without God in the world. The, the division between Jew and Gentile was wide in the ancient world. And it was hate-filled as well. One scholar says, well, in general, hatred between Jews and Gentiles was fierce and reciprocal in the ancient world. In many respects, it was more vitriolic than the hatred that African Americans and Caucasians have expressed toward one another in the United States since the days of slavery. The greatest difference was that the Jews and Gentiles' hatred toward one another was not based on skin color, but on religion. So when we look at this issue of Jew and Gentile that Paul is speaking to, uh, it is as dark and as disruptive and hate-filled and derisive as issues of our day, perhaps even worse. Some of the, the wars that came up in the ancient world were all over this divide. Nothing changes, does it? These problems have always been happening. But what Paul describes is that by the blood of Jesus, something incredible happens in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. What does it take to bring Jews and Gentiles together? Nothing less than the bloody body of Jesus. One scholar I've been reading says, you know, Paul's image of the church as the body of God begins with the physical body of Jesus hanging on the cross. Think about it. How else in the final multitude can there be both those who've done wrong and been wronged? In America, in Australia, in every nation on this earth. How do you make up how do you fix such hatred? Only the blood of Jesus can. Only the blood of Jesus can pay for a perpetrator's guilt. Only the blood of Jesus can make up for the hatred even growing in the victim. 
Only the blood of Jesus can mediate a peace. You see, the way that Jew and Gentile can come together again is by both being joined to the body of Jesus, by both receiving the same forgiveness, by coming together in him. There is no other way. There is no way to make it up than the injustice of slaying God's own son, his bruised and bloodied body is enough to bring peace to the deepest racial divide. But the second thing we see Paul saying is that reconciliation takes nothing less than a whole new humanity. That's what he goes on to say next. He himself is our peace. He's got rid of the the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. If religion was the dividing hostility, then the cross meeting the regulation abolishes that divine. And his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two and thus making peace. You see, Gentiles didn't become Jews. It's not that the Gentiles changed their cultural identity to become a part of what had happened in Jesus. No, what what happens is that the two come and they form one new humanity. You see, that's how bad the problem is. Nothing less than a whole new creation, a whole new entity is required to transcend the rift between Jew and Gentile and between every racial divide. Paul describes how Jesus offers us back in one body, back to God the Father, and we all have access to the Father by one Spirit. We're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens, members of the one house, and together we're being built into this temple in which the Holy Spirit is dwelling. You see, what Paul's saying here is that when we come together as God's people, it doesn't dissolve our cultural identities, but instead together we come to form something bigger, a whole new humanity, a temple, a place where God himself dwells. Gentiles weren't even allowed in the Jewish temple, but here they are the Jewish temple. They are the place where that God dwells. You see, the implication of this is that you don't have to be a certain culture to be a Christian. And that if if, if a church exists that is a majority culture and someone of a minority walks in, they don't have to become a different culture. Because regardless of our ethnicity, we are being made one new humanity in Jesus. And that is the only way past the issues we have faced. But Paul goes on again and and gets even bigger. He says, you know, the blood of Jesus that's formed this new humanity out of the cultures of the world. Do you know what it does? It displays nothing less than Christ's total victory. Paul in chapter 3 of Ephesians starts talking about the, 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 the great glory of being the preacher to the Gentiles of the good news that they can can have the promises of God that they can be part of the temple that they can be included in Christ that they can be part of the new humanity he, he has a great joy and talks about the boundless riches but then in verse 10 he says something incredible 
about what happens when Jews and Gentiles come together as the new humanity. He says, God's intent was now, verse 10 of chapter 3, through the church that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What What does he mean by this? Well, that word manifold wisdom, it's talking, it's kind of like a, a picture of a rich tapestry of many different colors, of huge variety. And he said, you know, the church is this rich tapestry. And what is revealed as Jew and Gentile come together is this rich tapestry, this diversified wisdom of God, this, this beautiful, diverse thing that is brought together in the church, in the one body of Jesus. But notice what he says about it. What does he say about this rich wisdom that's displayed in this multi-ethnic church? It makes known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly world. You see, the multi-ethnic church makes God's wisdom known to who? To demons and angels, to the powers behind things, to the strong spiritual powers of the universe. The multi-ethnic church declares that one day, just as the hostility of Jew and Gentile has been brought together by the blood of Jesus, so every hostility will be ended by the peace won by his blood. So every hostile power will find itself dealing with him. Everything will be summed up in Jesus. Everything will come together in him as his head. The multi-ethnic church declares to demons that Jesus has won. That's how spiritually significant reconciliation is in the church. It's not just a pipe dream. It's not just a good idea. It is central to the purposes of God. And it reveals the full purposes of God. Because what is God's purpose? For everything to come together in Jesus. Now I've thrown three big theological things at you. And I'm sorry. Well, I'm not sorry. Because the scriptures have given them to us today. They're rich. They're deep. The blood. The blood body of Jesus, the new humanity, this, this capacity for this multi-ethnic church to declare the reality of God's purposes to demons even. But let's go back to the, where we started, because what we're wrestling with today is what to do with race and reconciliation and how to make it part of our discipleship. Because let me draw a distinction, because th- there's a real danger for us, I think, in times like this. Uh, some black activists I've been reading have talked about how they're worried that particularly millennials who've been caught up in the Black Lives Matters uh, protests, whether it's just a fad for them, whether it's just trendy. Because there's this social media culture of, you know, clicking on causes. And we get on to causes as a way of kind of proving that we're publicly okay. But we don't actually discern their depth, nor are they one with our hearts. It's all superficial. You know, another incredible uh, Australian, Indigenous Australian who I've been learning about is Arnie Jean Phillips. You should go uh, on YouTube and find uh, one of Common Grace's interviews with her. Incredible woman, incredible ministry she's had over so long. She's talking about the, the, the marches as well, and she says, we're, we're, we are called to do justly. If we could get together now and talk more, people would really understand what we're on about. It can't end with the march. There's a deeper work to be done. 
And we as disciples have to discern between our click cause culture and being disciples of Jesus. Now, let me run you through the whole rest of Ephesians real quick. It's going to be real quick, I promise. Because uh, I think there are five things uh, in the back half of Ephesians that talk about this idea of putting on our new humanity. That's what Paul says in chapter 4 of Ephesians, to put off the old self and put on the new self. If we are this new humanity, we need to grow into it. And I think there's a lot of practical things about being a disciple when it comes to race and reconciliation. Let me run you through them really quick. The first is that in the back half of Ephesians, there's a strong emphasis on telling the truth, putting off falsehood, chapter 4, verse 24, and speaking the truth to your neighbor. In chapter 5, he goes on to talk about light and darkness and how we're children of light. And we are called as children of light to no longer live in darkness, but instead to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. Here's our role as God's church, to tell the truth. To tell the truth of the good and the bad that's happened in our country to the first peoples. To tell the truth about what, how we've failed. To tell the good truth of what we've done well. And even more than that, we, we live such a life as a, the new humanity that we actually expose the dark hatred of the world. That we so demonstrate the better way that we expose darkness. Truth-telling and exposing darkness are part of our, our roles. And one of the first ways we do that is by watching our tongues and our actions. In chapter 5, when Paul's talking about putting on our new humanity, he talks about not letting unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Because it grieves the Holy Spirit. And he talks about uh, thinking about violence and brawling and malice. He says, you know, don't, have any, don't let any unwholesome talk come out. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. You know, is there a casual racism in your talk? That's out of place in the new humanity. Have you audited your talk recently? Have you asked someone to give you feedback on what you say? What do your actions prove about you and what you believe about God's purposes in Jesus? And who can access him and who can't? Is there any violence in you? We are told to put these things off, to put on our Lord Jesus. He also talks about humility. And keeping the bond of peace. How if we've been brought together in one humanity, then our job is not to create the unity, but to keep it. And humility keeps it, he says. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What might humility look like? I've been thinking about humility as a key trait of disciples who are grappling with race and reconciliation. Personally, I'm like, well, part of the humility I need to take on is owning the fact that I have a culture. Sometimes as a, a white Western person, I assume I'm cultureless, which is naive and maybe a little bit arrogant. I need to own the fact that I have a culture. And that changes the way I relate to other people. In humility, I need to hear the stories of others. I've been trying to listen and read more people from other cultures more and more. I've been trying to this week listen to the stories of indigenous Christian leaders to understand where they're coming from. Because maybe it's humility in understanding my culture, in understanding other people's cultures that is part of us demonstrating this reconciliation 
this rich tapestry that God is weaving in and through Jesus Christ. But the other one that we see in Ephesians is that we need to serve each other regardless of race. We are called to be, live as dearly loved children and love each other. Jarvis Williams talks about uh, joining uh, a church in Kentucky that was all white. He was the only African-American there. Uh, and it was just the, a reflection of the area he was part of. Uh, they couldn't have more racial diversity in their church. There was no one. It was all white. Uh, but he said, you know, the point of racial reconciliation is not to have diversity. The point is that you treat everyone regardless of their race. And that's how he felt he was treated and how actually that predominantly white church did well. He says, because of Jesus' vicarious death for all ethnic groups, it calls Christians to love, serve, minister to, and embrace their brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of their ethnicity. We are summoned to serve brothers and sisters outside of our own ethnicity. I don't know what that looks like for you. As long as listening to them and their stories, also serving them. Maybe that's financially in some way, and supporting the grassroots gathering of indigenous leaders. Or supporting a living water church in Redfern. Or in some way learning to serve Christian brothers and sisters outside of your own culture. The last thing to remember, and I want to finish on this, is that really we need to do all of this with Christ's victory in view. Because we are not trying to reconcile the races of the earth. We're not. Jesus does that by his blood and in his body. He makes us the new humanity. As long as we are striving to do that in our own power and our own strength, we will fail. But when we recognize, as Ephesians 6 says, and stand in the mighty power of our Lord, who has already reconciled us in his body by his blood and offered us back to God the Father by the Spirit, when we know that his body is enough, when we know that we have come together as one body, why? Because his body was ripped apart, because his body was severed by a spear on the cross. As he died for our sin, as he died for our hatred, as he died for our racism, that he has brought us together again. We need not create a reality. We need to stand in his victory. And standing in his victory, telling the truth and exposing darkness, watching our tongues and our actions with humility and service, seeking to tell the demons that everything will come together again in Jesus. Friends, let's put on our new humanity. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.